All right, guys, we're going to go ahead and get started here. Uh, my name is Bill Savage. Um, I pastor uh, Velocity Church in Mansfield. And um, just uh, want to say a couple things. Um, I think my wife is taking the, I'll sign up in case no one shows up too far. Uh, you can leave now if you want. People came. So this, this is my wife, Amy. Um, and uh, some, you know, someone said, oh, so they're saving the best for last. No, they made sure that you didn't leave if I was first. So, uh, but thanks for being here. Um, just a little bit about myself. Um, I did not grow up in a Christian home. Uh, came to the Lord at 18 years old, uh, down at New Hope Assembly, Lancaster. Right? Rain is down there now. Um, and uh, parents divorced when I was five. I lived in Indiana, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana. Um, Graduated high school, 17 years old, and uh, moved out the next weekend. Uh, not because parents kicked me out. Okay? Just, you know, mom did her job for 17 years, and so I left and, um, and then started framing houses. And uh, then it was um, almost a year later. It was 18 years old when I got saved. It was 50 weeks after I graduated high school. And um, I was only there for a few months before I knew that there was a calling of ministry on my life. Uh, I was married at 20, first child at 21, we now have three. We have a 13-year-old that thinks he knows everything, right, uh, and then some, uh, and, and then uh, two girls, uh, 11 and 9. Um, so while I was at my home church at New Hope Assembly in Lancaster, I was there for a total of seven years. Um, for me, everything happened there. I was saved there. I was filled with the Holy Spirit there. I was baptized in water there. I preached my first Sunday morning service there. Went on my first mission trip there. Was married in that church. Two of my kids dedicated in that church. It was a great church for me to be involved in. And uh, whenever I was 23 years old, um, uh, I uh, began uh, serving there um, as youth pastor while working for Culligan Water of Lancaster. I was working 40 hours a week in youth pastoring, and I did that for about 18 months uh, before I went to Tiffin to serve four years with uh, Rex King as a full-time youth pastor there. And, um, and then I got to, um, to Velocity in 2011. Um, got there at 29 years old, youngest pastor in the history of the church. Um, they were either... Uh, you know, desperate or something else. I haven't figured it out yet. Um, but, uh, so, yeah. Um, I w- and um, ordained at 29 years old there just a few months later. Um, April's going to be six years that we've been there. And um, May 14th, uh, coming up May 14th, will be 17 years that I've been saved. So, if what I say sounds stupid, think of the last conversation you had with the 17-year-old. Okay, there you go. Um, it might not make sense. Uh, so if you kept track, um, I've been in pastoral ministry since 2005. That's 12 years altogether. Only five years and four months have been full-time. Uh, four years in Tiffin and um, about 16 months uh, after that, once I got to Velocity, um, I was full-time. And uh, Whenever I got to Velocity, um, I was 29 years old, didn't know you're supposed to look at finances, didn't know you're supposed to look at budget. You said you can pay me this. Awesome. You can afford that. No. <laughs> uh, so, you know, realized that, kind of saw the writing on the walls. Um, and so, uh, you know, I'll kind of get back into that transition here in a minute. Um, so most all of my ministry time up to this point, I've supplemented income, whether in part or total outside of the church. And so um, that doesn't make me an expert, but it makes me experienced in that for those of you that you have to work outside of the church or you can see the writing on the walls that you may have to move outside of the church, um, I'm hoping that some things that I'm going to share you, share with you today will encourage you to just hang in there. If you read the introduction to the class, it said, get ready for Bill to be transparent. Um, I'm going to share with you the things I loved, and I'm going to share with you about the things that made me want to strangle someone. Um, and uh, so those are just the things that I have really, uh, you know, gone through and things. And so, you know, many people say, you know, why do you do it? The reality is, is that whenever I went, 
whenever I went into bivocational ministry, while at Velocity in August of 2012, in October of that year, my pastor, John Dawson, uh, passed away and you know is now walking the streets of gold. And it was a few months after that that the, that the church phone rang. Well, I guess not church phone, my cell phone rang. And it was some people from my home church. Would you be interested in coming here to pastor? Now, I've got to tell you that I just went through 14 months of full-time ministry knowing I'm going back into bivocational ministry. Um, in those first two years at Velocity Church uh, in 2011, uh, the, the uh, church's income was 26000 in the hole. In 2012, it was 24000 in the hole. It was tempting to go. It was real tempting to go. Um, but I said no. Uh, you know, because for me, it came down to the calling that God had placed on my life to be at that church. So, you know, many people say, you know, why do I do it? Why do I work outside the church? Why have I taken voluntary pay cuts? And it's because of this reason. Because I believe that there are people out there that need Jesus and working outside the church gives me a great opportunity to impact them. Okay? That's the number one reason. There are people that need Jesus they're never going to walk into your church, but you may have the opportunity to walk into a meeting with them. You may have the opportunity to walk into their house with them. You may have the opportunity to serve on a committee with them, and they may never come into your church. And those same people that need Jesus, uh, many desire a pastor that understands the aspect of their daily struggle to serve God while at work and while at play. Now, I don't want to take anything away from the pastor out there that they were saved at a youth camp and they lived their life for Christ in middle school and high school and they you know, went off to Bible college and they came out and you know, they started working in ministry and that's all that they've ever done. I'm not taking anything away from that, but I'm saying is that there are people out there that need to know that the pastor can relate with them or the ministry leader or their small group leader can relate to them more than what they read in a book or heard someone else tell a story about. So when I'm up on a Sunday morning and I'm talking about some struggles that I had at work that week with the coworker that I wanted to strangle, somebody's like, "Yeah, pastor, me too." Right? Now some of you, you know, now some you know, pastors, they got that same thing going on in their church where they're full-time and that's a whole different story. Okay? <laughs> they should have went to the dealing with difficult people one. Um, so um, <laughs> they're probably the difficult one. Um, so uh, you know, some of what I'm going to share today um, is, uh, is some of what I've blogged about. Um, October of last year, I uh, turned my uh, blog into wanting to share my experiences with people. Um, so it is, it is now primarily uh, bivocational ministry. I will let you know what that is here at the end. Um, you know, some of it's new, some of it I've never shared before. And of course, some is some things that I've picked up along the way from some other pastors or from some other leaders, uh, you know, throughout some books. Um, so why, why go bivocational? Let me touch this question first. I got three reasons why I think people need to go bivocational. And the first is that, listen, bivocational ministry isn't anything new. It's not new. Here's what's happening. It's just growing at a faster pace. We trend to, or we attend to notice a trend, and then we're going to give some attention to that. For instance, church planting. 10, 12 years ago, how big was it? Not, not all that big. Now, church planting is humongous. Okay? Who's currently serving in a church plant? Raise your hands. Who in here has been in ministry longer than 10 years and have never served in a church plant? Okay, so we can see that we've got more people right now that are in a church plant than those that have been in ministry for a decade or more and never have. Um, so, look, you know, I've read some articles and read some books and stuff, and, you know, they've taken the term bivocational pastor, put some lipstick on the pig, and called it marketplace pastor. Whatever, okay? Marketplace pastor, you know... <laughs> You know, tent maker, you know, bivocational pastor, whatever. Um, so, you know, first I would just say why. Well, first is because it's not new. Secondly, I think that the rewards outweigh the challenges. 
I think the rewards of bivocational ministry outweigh the challenges. For me, one of them is personal financial stability. Like I said, our church in two years now, they'd sold some property and there was some money there before I got there. Okay, And I remember it was a forum 2000. 7, 2008, um, we were at Heartland, and I distinctly remember Superintendent Georgia Wood saying, spend it all. So when I got to Velocity and saw like 70000 bank, I'm like, cool, I'm going to spend it all. That's what George Wood said to do. Um, <laughs> and uh, anybody else there? Anybody else there? Maybe I dreamt that. I don't know. Hopefully George Wood doesn't hear this. Um, but, you know, so, you know, whenever I saw that, um, uh, you know, and... It was just one of those things of seeing that the stability of the church wasn't all that solid for the finances of the church. Okay, The reality is, is that most of us that are going to serve in bivocational ministry, the reality is that most of us are doing it in churches of 150 people or less. Okay, um, Last year, our uh, total general fund budget for our church last year uh, was six was seventy two thousand dollars okay um, and so for me bivocational ministries provides financial stability the pastoral turnover rate is staggering it is staggering as to the amount of ministers that are leaving the ministry so as a bivocational minister that transition doesn't have to be so fast to get to the next church It doesn't have to be all that fast because we're not fully dependent upon the church for our salary. We can take the time that we need to make a smooth transition. Because too many times, whenever pastors are fully dependent upon the church for their salaries and there's no severance and there's no savings and there's nothing else, they move into that next position so fast that they bring some of the hurt, they bring some of the pain, they bring some of the discourse from the previous church in with them where they are. So as a bivocational pastor, we don't always have to be in a hurry to get to the next church. Um, Secondly, I believe that being a bivocational or, you know, part of these rewards, second would be increased ministry budgets. Okay? Um, Velocity Church, we are doing some things on some ministry budget levels um, that I think people feel I'm lying about on my ACMR when they see, like, how did that church do that? Well, church does it because I don't take a full salary from them. Uh, minist- so, you know, last year, ministry expenses missions and heart for ohio support Uh, if you're a lead pastor and your church is not doing your heart for ohio support you have no idea what you're missing out on um, for the benefits of that but ministry expenses missions hfo support uh, 45 percent of our church's income went to that so nearly 45 percent of the money that came in went out okay Um, imagine this imagine your church without the boomers and the builders' generation. Now let's talk about budgets. Okay, now let's talk about budgets. Because I believe that the X's and the Y's and the millennials and the whatever else is coming, I believe that once they get saved and once they grab onto Christ, that they really are going to grasp the idea of tithing in the Bible because it's there but I think that we may lack some on some benevolence support. Or there may be a lack on some building fund support. Or there may be a lack on some missions funding support. They'll go. The X's and Y's and millennials, they'll go anywhere to do anything. But there may be a lack in the support financially for that. So I think we're going to see a trend here 15, 20 years from now. Budgets and churches are going to start tanking for, for some of the extra and the above things. I also think that one of the rewards that outweighs it is a deeper connection with people. One of these rewards is a deeper connection with people. Listen, I know what they're experiencing at work. 
I know what it means to have to walk out of the break room when some discussion starts turning away that you don't want to be a part of. Okay. I know the discussion of going to a three-hour uh, you know, sales meeting and you know, some of the things that are said on the way there and some of the things that are on the way back. And it's like, man, it's too bad that if I jumped out of this truck, I would die. And I have to stay in the truck. Okay. Um, we know what the people in our church are experiencing in those things. And, um, and then, you know, fine, you know, one of the final rewards that I would say is that, you know, for me, that reward came out of a choice. It's a choice to go bivocational. Okay. If you ever feel like you're forced to go into bivocational ministry, you will not be successful. If you ever feel like you're forced to be a pastor and that you're forced to go bivocational, you will not be very successful. What's the choice that I'm talking about? I've got a wife and three kids. My choice is live on a very small salary, do nothing, have no fun, Go on no vacations. Don't let my kids play sports because sports cost money. And to live off of that very small, meager salary or work outside the church, learn to do bivocational ministry well and ensure that my family is taken care of. This one's going to sting a little bit for some people, so I'm just warning you right now. Pride causes too many pastors' families to live below what they should. Pride causes too many pastors' families to live below what they should because they think full-time makes them a better pastor. I've talked to some pastors that tell me, They've got all this bitterness because of salary and, you know, retirement and some of these, or the lack of those things. And I'm thinking, so do something about it. But there's this pride that comes up in them that I can't work outside the church. I was called by God to pastor this church and I need to do it all the time. And so that's why I feel that it's a choice. And ultimately, uh, Another, another reward of bivocational ministry is that leadership and communication skills are sharpened. For most pastors in most churches, they will have their leadership skills on display one to two days a week. If they're in a bigger church setting, maybe a little more with some meetings and stuff. Bivocational pastors, our leadership skills, are our communication skills are on display every single day of the week as we're going into work, as we're meeting with people, whether we're in a supervisory position or not, our leadership and our communication skills are, are always coming together because what I have learned through so many years of bivocational ministry is that sometimes the reason why I'm able to deal with the different dynamics of the people within the church is because I'm able to deal with the different dynamics of the people at work. Okay. Um, this is a conference, so we've got to have some stats, I think. I've heard them in all my other ones, so let me give you some stats. Um, faith communities today uh, survey, they said that fewer than two-thirds of churches in the United States have a full-time pastor, according to a 2015 poll. So 62% of churches in the United States um, have a full-time pastor. That's down from 71% in 2010. Remember that trend I talked about? Okay, so there's a trend happening here. Uh, median Sunday attendance, according to faith communities, dropped from 105 people to 80 uh, during the same time that they looked at that 2015 versus 2010. And the median annual budget fell from 150000 to 125000 uh, Pastoralcareinc.com. 
the Baptist organization, um, by far, if you want to look up anything as far as bivocational ministry, you're going to find a lot of stuff from the Baptist organization. They are leading the charge across the nation for their pastors and support and resourcing them. Um, but they report that 75% of their churches run under 100 people. So therefore, nearly 75% of their churches have bivocational pastors. Um, the Nazarene Church reports that about 40% of their ministers are bivocational. The Bureau of Labor Statistics, they report that the mean uh, U.S. clergy salary to be $48,490 in 2011. It didn't specify what level or they staff or they lead or they, you know, whatever that was. It just said that that was kind of the uh, mean salary there. Um, the Southern Baptist Church, now catch this. The Southern Baptist Church, because they've paid attention to the trend for a long time, uh, they said that... Uh, uh, their studies reported average salaries of $14,071 for bivocational pastors and salaries of 18000 for part-time senior pastors. There is no way I'm raising three kids on $18,000. It's not going to happen. So I choose to work Outside of the church. Um, I thought I was going to have the longest uh, session title, right? Writing the Roller Coaster by Vocational Ministry and enjoying it most of the time. Right? Uh, Pastor David said you should have threw him without puking, but I wanted you to actually come. So, um, so how do we enjoy the ride? Okay. Um, first, I think we enjoy the ride. By having our family on the ride with us. Okay. Now, to many of us, this seems simple. But it's not when it comes to bivocational ministry. Because not only did we leave Tiffin to come to Mansfield as a family, we chose to do that. And as a family, we chose that, okay, we believe God called us here, we're going to stay. So now dad's got to work outside the church. So have them on the ride with you. Um, look, we can work all that we want and make all that we want to make, but remember, if it costs us our family, it was pointless. Okay. Um, there was a moment for me, January 4th, 2013, that I came home and I told my wife, I said, Amy, I said, if Culligan paid me what I made between Culligan and the church, I, just, I would just assume, find a church I can hide in, love on Jesus, and never think about ministry again. I was in a rough season. That was about six months into my bivocational experience there. It was the first time as, as a bivocational lead pastor. And I was just burnt out. And... Um, it was so hard, and she encouraged me because she's on the ride with me. She didn't encourage me, hey, let's get off this ride, let's go, let's go somewhere else. Because remember, a few months before that, I got the call from my home church. And, you know, so, you know, we had walked through some of those things, and she was able to tell me, hey, you know, call some mentors of yours, you know, call some people that, you know, kind of, you know, pour into your life and such. And, um, you know, she encouraged me to do that because she was on board with me. We can't do bivocational ministry without the support of our spouses. And listen, make sure those of you with children, make sure they know why you're doing it. Okay? Make sure they know why you're doing it. I can remember in, in 2012, our youngest daughter, Georgia, she would have been, that was almost five years ago, she, she would have been four. And we were talking about this, and she... And, you know, she had said something along the lines of, Dad, does this mean that more people can hear about Jesus? She was in. She was on that ride. She was ready to go. Um, you know, bottom line is that, you know, we need to, you know, that we need people to encourage us on those days. Because you're going to have some January 4th, 2013 moments, and you're going to have some moments that I'm, I'll tell you about here that I just went through again in another new season of some things. You're going to have those moments in, and if your spouse resented you for going bivocational in the first place, the only thing they're going to do is be like, hey, let's go. Let's just dump this place and be done with it. But you've got to determine, did God call you there? 
Because here's what I knew from me is that God called me to velocity, period. Not comma, as long as things are nice. Not comma, as long as they're paying you full time. Not comma, as long as everybody says your preaching was good. God called me to velocity, period. Um, those of you with kids, uh, make time for them. Okay, by vocational ministry. Some hours at the church, some hours at church, some hours on the road, depending on what you're doing. Make time for your kids. Coach their teams. Go to their games. Volunteer when possible. In the midst of, of the entire time that I've been in Mansfield, I've coached football in the fall. And um, football's a great passion of mine, and I love it. I coach our sixth grade team. And, um, but I started that because... Uh, whenever I first started, it was my son's team in second grade, and I coached that team all the way up through sixth grade, and then they went on, and the um, director of Lexington uh, Youth Football asked me, even though my son was leaving, would I consider staying on uh, to coach? Now, my son was gone, but for me in those years, what I found in coaching football was that it cleared my head. Okay. Um, because, because in those moments of three days of practice and games on Sunday afternoon, that was fun, um, was that while I'm there, I'm not thinking about ministry, I'm not thinking about work. I'm thinking about football and I'm thinking about these young boys and I'm pouring into their lives and investing into them. And so for me, that was almost my getaway from ministry. That was almost my getaway from work at the same time. If you work at the church, leave your computer at the church when you go home. Some of you, you can leave now if you want. Okay. Um, most weeks, I'm able to do that on most weeks since... This last November. You thought uh, I've been doing it the whole time, didn't you? No, I've just recently learned about this. Okay. Um, most weeks, mine stays home. Okay. Um, if it's something urgent, email, whatever, and you got to do it, come on, it's coming on your phone, it's coming on your tablet or your iPad or whatever. Leave the computer at home. Okay. Oh, but, Pastor, don't worry. When I go home, you know, Bill, listen, when I go home, you know, we... You know, we play in the yard together, and we eat dinner together. And when the kids go to bed, I can get on my computer and put another four hours instead of spending some time to rest. Um, second key to enjoying the ride, define your role. Your congregation loves you. Don't keep bivocational ministry a secret. Don't feel shame about it. Okay? Define your role as a bivocational minister. Use those experiences in messages and in conversations. Use what you're going through. You know, use it as a sermon illustration. Like, you don't know how many times the guys at Culligan have been talked about on Sunday morning. They have no idea. Like, that's some good stuff they give me. Uh, but, so, you know, use those things that are happening there because now what are we doing? Now we're relating with the people. Now they know that we know where they're coming from and what they're going through. It builds credibility for you. It builds so much credibility. As you're leading a small group or you're teaching a Sunday school or you're you know, doing whatever it is that you're doing in ministry that has you working, you're building credibility with those people. Okay, Especially those of you that work with kids and, and students. And here's why. is because... You know as well as I do that um, many times if, you know, for those families that don't go to your church, but they're bringing their kids to your youth or your kids' function, they never see the lead pastor, but they see you. And they know that you're going through some of the same things too. And so whenever they talk about, you know, they come home and, you know, there's macaroni and cheese all over the wall and jello on the TV, you're like, I know, I feel you, right? Instead of, oh, yeah, I'm at the church, I don't have that problem, I'm here all day, you know? So be, be able to share those experiences. It gives you credibility. Um, I've also found this to be incredible, and it blows my mind, is that 
is that I believe that because I'm bivocational, that my church is willing to extend a little more grace to me. Here's the cool thing about pastoring Velocity Church. They let me mess up. I know, some of you guys don't mess up. It's okay. Uh, But for me, they let me mess up. And they extend grace to me because they understand the things that's happening and the things that I'm, you know, going through. Um, I don't get it, but it's true. I did a three-week sabbatical back in November into December, and here was a way that they extended grace to me and that they loved on me was that um, a few days after I had announced to the church, because there were some things going on, I'll get to that in a minute, I'm pretty sure that I will have time, but I announced to the church on the Sunday before I left for a three-week sabbatical, I called the message, taking a time out before it's too late. And I announced to them what was going on and what was happening and some of the struggles that I was dealing with, and three days later, a a a girl in the church who her family check this her family was there because in 2015 I installed their water equipment in their home okay and they're there so they knew me not in the role at first as a pastor but in the role of as a Culligan man her dad dies and um I found out later that someone was having a conversation with him and said, hey, you're going to call Pastor Bill? And she said, no. She said, I love him too much to call him while he's on sabbatical to ask him to do this. Now, I showed up to the funeral as a friend, but to me it showed how much they really loved me in that moment that she loses her dad and she doesn't call me. It all worked out. She has a cousin that's a pastor as well. And so, you know, God worked out what he had there. But that was a testament to the church that I defined my role. And they did that. And this one kind of goes with it. The next one is set expectations. For me, Velocity Church knows I'm not on call 24-7. Some of you are like, how could you say that? Because I'm a bivocational pastor, and it's got to be some, got to be some differences. I'm not on call 24 um, seven. My kids stuff, I'm dad. Um, I don't, I don't leave ball games. I don't leave practices. I don't leave plays at school for church stuff. It does not happen. It doesn't happen. Okay, because chances are there's someone else I can call or I can text and say, hey, can you go meet with so and so? But here's what I've also found is that most of the time. By the, time, you know, by the time they call me, they really should have called me four weeks ago when it started happening. And it's all of a sudden an emergency. It was an emergency four weeks ago. Why didn't you call me then? So, so set the expectations. Um, we have a church that I'm very blessed to be a part of. They allow our worship leaders and our ministry leaders and our uh, team leaders to be there with them in those times. It doesn't always have to be me. You guys are like, man, your church must be massive. Uh, last Sunday, there were 67 people in the church. Kids and all. If there's a mouse, I counted them because they heard the gospel. Okay? <laughs> so, ACMR numbers get fudged a little bit. but So, you know, but, but again, it's because of the expectation that I set that. Hey, look, I work like you. I'm your pastor. I love you. I care about you. And because I want to do this for as long as I can, someone else is going to be there with you on that day. Um, here's another key to enjoying this ride. Communicate time off needs to the church board. This must be laid out. Don't let it be an assumption. I had this wrong for so long. Okay, so you guys have heard about November. And what happened in November? What happened in November was that our church had... For um, there were some things happening, some good things happening that I wasn't necessarily handling the correct way. Um, now I know that sometimes I should leave some things in my back pocket and those are just for me and I don't need to let some people know some things. But what it really came down to was a conversation with my presbyter, um, Kevin Crow. Anybody know Kevin Crow? Okay. Um, love the man. He couldn't be a presbyter for everybody. Um, but he's mine and I love him and I was talking to him and he could sense the burnout I was going through from, from, from some things I was dealing with and he said Bill what's your destructive behavior and I said I don't know what you're talking about I'm not cheating on my wife I'm not going out 
boozing. I'm not, you know, doing drugs. I'm not heading down to the casino. I, you know, there's, there's no destructive behavior. And he said, well, there's something causing you not to care. I was in a season for several months where I didn't care about some things happening at the church. I didn't care about some things happening at Culligan. I do Culligan sales now. When I started out in 2012, I worked as a service tech 40 hours a week and pastored. Did that two and a half years, transitioned into sales almost two years ago. My sales were dropping and all of these things. And I said, Kevin, there's no destructive behavior. And he said, all right, when's the, when was the last time you had a vacation? I'm like, April 2015. He's like, when was your last one before that? And I said, summer 2010. He said, you're an idiot. I said, what? He said, your destructive behavior is you work too much and you don't take time off. And he asked me, he said, what is it about time off? And I said, I don't know what you're talking about. And he said, do you feel that time off is something bad and something that, that you need to earn and not something you deserve? Man, I wanted to punch him. And so that began this whole thing of what am I, why am I working so much? And I met with our church board and let him know some things that were happening with that. And um, where that got me to was to do a three-week sabbatical from November into December. And here's the reality is that on day one of the sabbatical, I didn't know after three weeks if I was coming back to the church. I didn't know. And um, so what the church agreed to do was that I would take three weeks off from the church and, um, and then in that third week, I would be off from Culligan as well. But here's where communicating time off comes. Because the church board loved me and believed in me and wanted to support me so much, they said, Pastor, if you don't work sales at Culligan, you don't get paid. They said, what do you make in a week? And we figured out the numbers I told them. They said, we're going to make sure you get your Culligan salary that week. I still get a housing allowance. I still get a little bit of a... You know, salary as well, but but the church board in that week said we're going to make that week up for you that you have no sales happening for you. What'd that tell me? Tell me that they love me. It told me that because I had put in so many years of tough work and some other things that they really loved me and they really cared about me and that they wanted to invest in me. And so. So now where we are is this, after we came back and we talked and I sat down in December, came back, here's what the church board said. They said, Pastor, you need to take two weeks off a year. And they said, we're going to make up your salary both weeks from Culligan. Cool. They said, you also need to take off a day each week. I said, ooh. And, but they were right. So here's how it works for me. I do... I do sales for Culligan. They will send me a lead and, you know, just kind of depending on how it goes for the week. Um, since November, my wife can attest to this, um, that <laughs> nearly every week I've taken one day off of Culligan and church. Except for two weeks. One being this week because I had something going on this weekend. One being our the uh, week of our sweetheart banquet, because usually when there's something on that weekend, some extra things that need to get done, I understand that balance, I have to shift. Um, but it's amazing the stuff I've gotten done around the house. Okay? You know, because for me, like, you know, I remember that first time in December when I get back, I'm like, what do I do? Like, I have no idea what to do on a day off. Because I hadn't had a full day off, because... I tried telling Kevin that Mondays were my days off, and he said, okay, tell me about your Mondays. What do you do? And I said, well, you know, first thing I do, um, you know, it's Culligan sales meeting at 9.30. He said, okay, that's not a day off. I said, yes, it is. I'm not at the church. He said, no, it's not a day off. You're at Culligan. It's not a day off. And so, you know, for me, I had to learn to take a day off. I had to learn to take some time off. I've communicated those things. Listen, for me, when I'm off, there's this amazing thing on these phones, been around a long time, called voicemail. It's amazing. Okay? And I listen to the voicemail. That's not urgent. I'll get back to them tomorrow. Or, that sounds urgent. Let me shoot them a text because I really don't want to talk to them. And... Don't judge me. 
<laughs> and and you know, and then we'll see, you know, what it is. Um, and so, uh, you know, no Facebook updates for the church that day. Um, you know, nothing of that nature is happening for my day off, but I had to communicate it. Okay. Um, and and uh, one more key: find the right job outside the church. Okay, find the right job. You can't just go work any job and expect to be a bivocational pastor. I did it for, for, for 40 hours a week for two and a half years. That was hard. It got a little easier moving into sales. Both of them have their challenges. Working as a service tech, I was working on equipment, installing equipment, working 40 hours a week. Punch clock, punch in, punch out. I'm gone. My mind's done with Culligan. Now I'm looking at pastoring. Sales is different. Now I'm thinking about... The sale I didn't close, thinking about the sale I need to close, thinking about the appointment I got coming up. So now it's a mind thing now that I'm in sales versus, versus service. But we've got to find the right job in order for that to you know, work for us. Make sure the employer supports you as a minister. If you're going to find the right job, they better support you as a minister. They don't have to be a Christian company. They don't have to be a Christian themselves. You want to find the right job, make sure they understand what you do as a minister. Because if they don't support you, it's not going to work. Because when there's that emergency, they're not going to let you go. When there's, the, when there's that conference, <laughs> somebody's lucky this thing's done. Um, whenever there's a conference, they're not going to let you go. You've got to find the right job outside the church um, look, when I had the same conversations with the board about what I was struggling with and what I was going to, I met with my sales manager and my franchise owner. I said, hey, call again. Look, I've been in a funk lately. I haven't cared about some things. I've been working too much. And they said, you know what? We, we've noticed that your sales have dropped a little bit. Um, but man, we're so glad that you came to us. They said, you take the time you need because we need you healthy. I was working the right job. I talked to them. I let them know. Finally, the last key for you. Understand that it doesn't have to be temporary. Bivocational ministry doesn't have to be temporary. Biggest question I get. Anybody want to guess? When am I going back full time? At first, there was a thought in that. But after doing this for so many years, it's like, if the board tells me tomorrow, Pastor, we got enough, you know, we got enough in the budget to bring you back full time. I said, then that means we got enough to bring on staff. For me, this, this may be starting out temporary, but it began to shift. Because I've realized the impact that I have on people. I get to pray at the kitchen tables with people that, Pastors would only dream they get to pray with at the kitchen table. I get to pour into people's lives so much in their home. Encourage them to go to church. I've been, look, there have been people, two instances, where they left their church because they got upset about something. I walked in through that, checked back in with them a few weeks later, and they went back to their church and they reconciled things with their church. Because I came in as a Culligan guy. I said, hey, look, you know what happened with your church? What happened with your pastor?" And so there's just, there's just incredible ministry things there. Um, Paul, right? We all know Paul, right? He is like, yes, I'm bivocational because Paul was too, right? Paul's a tent maker, right? He didn't want to burden the, the churches with needing to support him. 1 Corinthians 9 says, Though I am free and belong to no one, I've made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible. He didn't want to burden the church at the time with having to support him. But at the same time, he believed in supporting Christian leaders. He says this uh, in 1 Corinthians 9.13. He says, Don't you know that those who serve in the temple get their food from the temple, and that those who serve at the altar share in what is offered on the altar? In the same way, the Lord has commanded that those who preach the gospel should receive their living from the gospel. So even though Paul wanted to be a bivocational pastor, he didn't have an issue with the church supporting pastors financially. Now, 
If you don't think that Paul's approach was pointless in ministry, then neither is yours. If you don't think that Paul's approach in ministry was pointless in the things that he did and, and those things, then neither is yours. You're valuable and you serve a purpose. And trust me, there are full-time pastors that have always been full-time that would just love one opportunity in a break room at work. They would love one opportunity in a brainstorming session at work. So we have opportunities for that. Here's what I believe as a bivocational pastor is that God's calling and His power is enough to sustain me. God's calling and His power is enough to sustain me. I've talked with those pastors that things are tough and they're hard and they're dealing with them and they're struggling. And they've got some people that are in their ear, oh, if it's that hard, why don't you leave? Why don't you quit? It's like, dude, it's been 18 months. Like, (laughs) okay? But then there's this thing of, didn't God call you there? Didn't God call you to be that helper to your lead pastor? Whether you're getting paid or not, whether you're getting something, whether you didn't God call you there? So until He calls you away, how about we stay and we do the best we can with what we've got and enjoy this ride most of the time? Okay? Because there are times that we want to quit. And there are times that we want to call John Musgrave and say, what did you get me into? Okay? There are times that we realize that sometimes as pastor, we didn't know it then, but we were on a need-to-know basis. Apparently there were some things we didn't need to know. We find out it hurts, it stings. But that's just the way that it has to be when we're a bivocational pastor. Because the ride's going to be up and down. There's going to be twists, there's going to be turns, there's going to be loop-to-loops, there's going to be everything else happening. But we've got to enjoy this ride. Let me leave you with this. Galatians 6, 9. Let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Bivocational ministers, you are too important to the kingdom of God to give up. You are way too important to give up. Um, Some books, resources for you. Uh, uniquely by uniquely by vocational by Ray Gilder. Uniquely by vocational. Uh, book called Marathon, a manual for bivocational ministry. Doug Black is the author. It's called Marathon, a manual for bivocational ministry. That one's a little older, but let's be real. Even the new stuff is just something repackaged. Um, The Art and Practice of Bivocational Ministry by Dennis Bickers. The Art and Practice of Bivocational Ministry. And um, this one I've been telling everyone about, I've been talking about it. It's not a bivocational book, but it's a book for uh, those serving in small churches called The Grasshopper Myth. He said that because I told him and he now doesn't like me. (laughs) That was one of those books that you read, it ticks you off, you put it down, you swear you're never going to read it, but you want to see what happens, so you pick it up again, get ticked off, ask God, does he know what he's doing? That's one of those books. Carl Vaders is the uh, author on that. You know, again, it's not a bivocational one, but it's a small church and the principles are the same for us. Because again, if we're in a bivocational ministry position, we're probably serving in a smaller church 200 or less, okay, most of us, the reality is 150 or less. Um, So, um, now, I talked about the Southern Baptist Church doing a great job of leading the way for bivocational ministers. Here's what you got to know, the Ohio Ministry Network sees it. The Ohio Ministry Network is addressing it. I sat down for two hours with Pastor Wooten a couple months ago, and um, here was how the conversation started. Bill, I... I know what a bivocational pastor is, but I don't know what you go through. 
Like, you have no idea what you just told me. And so I just shared some things with him that bivocational pastors struggle with. That sometimes it's hard for us to make it to network conference when it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Okay? That sometimes it's hard for us to make it to forum when it takes place during the week. That, that sometimes it's hard to make the area meetings because they're happening during the day, during lunch, during whatever the case was. And so, you know, I was just able to just really just share some things with him in that. And um, I firmly believe that he heard. Um, and, uh, so what we're doing is there is a Facebook page. Now, technically, this is geared toward credentialed pastors. We know how that goes. I'll leave it there. It's called OMN Bivocational Pastors. Okay. I would simply put it like this. Until you begin serving in a leadership role, okay, may want to hold off on that page, okay. Um, but what this group is designed to do is for us to go and share some of our experiences, some of our resources, and some things. Um, I've I've put a couple blog posts on. Uh, my blog post is, or my uh, blog is uh, thoughts from PBS. Not the news channel, but Pastor Bill Savage. Thoughts from PBS.blogspot. And um, if anyone wants to ever email me about any of these stuff or you want these notes or whatever, you can email me and I'll send it all to you. Um, it's pastor at we are velocity. That's A-R-E, we are velocity dot church. Any questions, thoughts, struggles, maybe something you went through, I've gone through, and I've come out of the other side, and you see yourself, or you're in there now? How much time do you allocate for ministry versus home versus work? Yeah, so great question. Um, How much time do I allocate for ministry versus home versus work? And again, because I've set some expectations, if someone comes up to me on Sunday, Pastor, I need to get with you. Here's my response. Right now, it looks like Thursday's open. But if Culligan schedules me a sales call, I've got to take that, and I'll reschedule with you. But if I do a reschedule, that one's locked in. I'll block out Culligan. I've set the expectation for the church people that my salary comes from Culligan. And so I'll meet their need, but if an opportunity to make money comes up now i know some oh that's a love of money no it's not i gotta support my family then i let them know that i'm going to uh you know meet with them later on um i've been able to again setting roles and determinations here are the four major things that as a lead pastor i focus on in our church one is the preaching for sunday morning uh obviously trying to get the message ready and those things Two, the business of the church. The taxes, make sure the bookkeepers got what they need, the treasurers got what they need, those things. Um, Three, uh, growth track membership class. Um, And four is um, visitor or absentee follow-up. Anything else you can think of is either someone else is doing it or doesn't need done, so that means it's not that important. Those are the four things I do, and that allows me to make sure that I take that time. Now, it'll vary from week to week. Last, last week, I ran 10 sales appointments. I was at the church office last week for a total of seven hours. While I was on the road, though, I brought my computer in between sales appointments, set up shop at Wendy's, Chipotle, whatever, almost got kicked out of Subway because I was hogging their Wi-Fi and their free pop. Um, uh, but so, you know, basically what I look at is to make sure that I'm getting ready for that Sunday morning message. If there's time that I've already devoted to the people in the church, it will vary. But again, it's not happening at home because I'm trying my best to leave my computer there. So when I'm at home, I'm at home. Um, it's going to vary. Now, when it was 40 hours a week and I was working, 
um, then I would get off, go to the church at 4 o'clock, be at the church until 7.30. Um, it's going to vary. You've just got to find what works. But you've got to define your role and set your expectations with the church first. You know, you, you just can't throw it on them or expect them to understand. You've got to walk through that process with them. It varies. Anyone else? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, big picture first sounds cliche, but they're my first ministry. Okay. Um, but you know, one of them being that um, my wife has the permission to pull the reins at any time. Okay. She will say, "Hey, we need you at home." Sometimes it's been, um, "I've got this coming up. I've got nothing else I can do. I need you here." You better be here. And again, just, you know, you know, because as much as I'm defining my role and setting my expectations with the church, we've also had to define roles and set expectations as well. So, you know, one of them is, uh, you, know, giving, you know, giving my wife permission to pull the reins. Whoa, hang on a minute. Things are, you know, things are going too crazy here. And, you know, secondly is um, communicating to my children that, I may not be around a lot, but when I'm around, I'm going to try to make it some very valuable time. Some very quality time over quantity of time. And so, you know, taking, you know, advantage. Now, this is all new stuff to me since November. Amy pulls in the driveway uh, one day last week when it was a nice day. Me and my son's out throwing the baseball. She said she stopped and she almost started crying. Because she'd be hard-pressed to go back previous five years and remember a time that she saw that. But that was a day off for me. I was off that day. I was done. I didn't have anything going on. Whenever my weeks get crazy, for instance, last week on that 10-week appointment, I actually ran, um, or that 10-appointment week, I actually ran those uh, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. By the time Tuesday, 3 o'clock came along, my week was filling up. I emailed Culligan and said, hey, I need Thursday off. And I was off all day on that Thursday. And um, so just, you know, making sure that our spouses have permission to pull the reins on us and focus more on the quality of your time with your family because sometimes the, the um, quantity just can't allow it to be there. So take advantage of that. And that's where leaving the computer at home Make sure that when you're home, or leaving the computer at the church, make sure that whenever you're at home, that that's quality time. Me and my kids have played more card games together in the last three months than we probably have in the last five years. Get done with dinner, and we'll get the cards out, and we'll start playing some cards. This is on... As a family at the table, too, so that when we are together, we're having that time to sit and talk with one another not sitting there eating in front of the television, not communicating. Because dad got home late, dad got his food out of the oven, dad warmed it up, dad ate without the family. Now, there's going to be those days that it's going to be crazy. I had one, one day this past week, Amy had to bring me some dinner to the church because it was a busy sales day. I had this stuff coming up this weekend, got some other things. So those things happen, okay? We've got to be willing to, you know, you know, switch sides. Um, I think it um, was uh, uh, Wayne Gordero talks about the balance of ministry and he uses a teeter-totter. And he says to keep God in the middle as that uh, center and keep ministry and family there. And wherever the weight gets, follow God as he takes you there. Not necessarily God, family, ministry, but just, you know, keep it balanced wherever God leads you to. Go to that side, follow God, and you'll be okay in the process. Anybody else? Time for one more if anybody's got anything. Frustrations, anything? 
All right, guys, feel free to email me, jump on Facebook, check out my blog. Um, I try to post once a week, but we know how that goes. So let me pray over you, okay? God, I thank you so much for the people in this room. Lord, I thank you for those that are bivocational, those that will be bivocational, or those that are uh, pastors and they've got some people in their church that are bivocational. God, I pray that you help us, guide us, direct us in all these things so that we could just impact people um, even when there's not a good chance that they walk through our door but we get a chance uh, to just walk into the door of their hearts through communication because you've blessed us with an ability, with a trade, with a craft to be able to do outside the church and you've blessed us to be able to serve in the church. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.